episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I have Dr. Sepna Doshi with me again, the amazing therapist. She is a director and clinical psychologist at Mind Body Health, a therapy practice with locations in Arlington, Virginia, and in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. She earned her Ph.D. from Drexel University and completed her doctoral internship at Duke University Medical Center. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me again. Of course. You're, you're almost a regular. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is great. I know. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, such good responses from so many people about, you know, you being on the podcast. And so I'm just, I'm just so happy to have you back. Um, Today we're talking about anxiety. I feel like this is such an important topic. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone really, no, I don't know anyone that isn't in some way affected Mm -hmm. by anxiety. Um, And it's a huge problem in this country. It affects 40 million Americans. So that's 18% of the population. Why do you think it's so common in this country? It seems like, I mean, of course, I've only, I lived abroad very briefly, studied abroad, Mm -hmm. but for the majority Mm -hmm. of my life, I've lived in the U.S. And so I can't, I don't, I don't know enough about, you know, other countries to say that it doesn't affect people there, but it just seems to be so much more prevalent here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think anxiety is prevalent across the board, I think part in part because it's part of our survival mechanism and that, you know, we need anxiety to kick us into action if there's danger around us. So it's in built in, in all of us and it's inherent in, in all of human beings. Um, but I, I think in this country, what we're starting to see is that there's this constant stimuli that we've never had before. Yeah. You think about, you know, when you were working in a time when you didn't have emails coming to your phone and constantly, you know, thinking about what you have to do next and what you have to get done and, um, even just thinking about the news and there might have been a couple times in the morning and once at night that you catch the news or on the radio but now it's 24 yeah. 7 and the news is constantly giving us information about terrible things happening yes. around us <laughs> so um, it's just constant information about what we should be fearing or what could be going wrong and lastly I think you know with social media um you know, bigger than ever at this time in our uh, in our country, uh, there's part part of anxiety is feeling like you're not part of the pack. You know, being part of the pack ensures your survival. And if you're not part of the pack, you're feeling isolated, which many of us do. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, when you're looking at social media, you're feeling like, oh, I'm I'm not part of what everyone else is part of. That can feel really isolating and increase anxiety as well yeah no definitely I feel like there's this compare culture Mm -hmm. in our country I mean I know I have it like especially being like a female in my 30s you look at your friends and someone's having a baby someone's getting married someone's getting in a relationship someone's doing this that the other and it's like how do you guard against that like I you know my uh, 
I, when I go, I'm originally from Oregon and I'll go home and my friends and family will say, Oh, you look like you're doing so well. And I'm like, social media is bullshit. Don't believe the highlight <laughs> reel. Cause I will That's have just great. had like yeah. a terrible month. Right. And I'm like, I appreciate that you're following me and that, you know, you get a C and obviously it's what I'm projecting and what they're, right. you know, perceiving and stuff, but it's not true. But I mm. also find that I am absorbing that from other people in terms of comparing myself to them. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times I'll know what's going on behind the post. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you'll see a couple that, you know, maybe there was a miscarriage or maybe they just broke up the night before and they're like smiling, like, Oh, dinner with Bay. And you're like, bullshit. (laughs) Bay is bullshit. (laughs) So uh, how do you, how do you kind of like guard yourself against that like compare culture, that social media yeah. compare? Because it can drive you down a really deep rabbit hole. Absolutely. And it's not fun. Um, so I, first of all, I think your authenticity and letting people know like, you know, what you're seeing isn't the whole picture is awesome. And I encourage people to do that more often. But the compare culture is real. I think the compare um, it contrast kind of thing can be, uh, and the research shows this too, can cause a lot of anxiety, depression, body image concerns, and the list goes on and on. Um, in terms of how you manage that, I think one being really mindful of how people, like just like you said, that people are showing one version of themselves or one snapshot, and to know that that as human beings, we're all struggling at some point. And if you're not seeing that on someone's Facebook reel, yeah. um, just know you're not getting the full picture. Yeah. So it's that constant reminder. And I think, too, just having practicing having more authentic conversations with people about what's really going on, whether you feel comfortable doing that um, face-to-face or social media or whatever, but just being more authentic and real, people are really going to connect to that. But if you're caught in this compare culture, there's a few other things you can do. One, compare equally. So, like, are you only comparing yourself to the happy couples that you're seeing? I like that. Compare <laughs> equally. Yeah. <laughs> or, and are you skipping over the mundane posts that someone yeah. else is posting, you know? And so um, there's that. There's also just taking a break from social media, you know, yeah. take these comparison mechanisms out of the picture. Do you recommend, like, I know for me, I'm like, oh my God, I'm always on my phone. Yeah. Do you, re- <laughs> it's bad. It is. Like, I respond way too quickly. Yeah. So, friends, be prepared. <laughs> exactly. My response time is going to start being delayed. It's a little too quick. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you recommend, like, if you are, anxious just in general or I mean just for even if you don't suffer from anxiety do you recommend that people only like have their phone out for an hour a day or social media do you recommend putting limits on that yeah absolutely it's because on a a broad scale you know it can be a way it doesn't have to be about comparing but your phone in and of itself can be a very easy way to distract from discomfort yeah and it may just be the boredom of standing in line and that's fine you know big deal if you pull out your phone but if you're going through something more emotional and you're avoiding that by just picking up your phone and looking at something there you're really not addressing the underlying issues which can get problematic Yeah. I know like I have kind of a pet peeve. Well, and my sister 
like if I'm ever on my phone around her, she starts yelling at me. So (laughs) that's like highlighted, (laughs) highlighted to me Uh if I do this, but you know, I, a lot of like millennials and the younger generation, they're always on their phones and it's like gotten to the point where it's like, they're awkward in front of people. (laughs) And so it's like, we're creating this culture of people that just like, they don't, they don't have good grammar (laughs) because they're just texting and they're not, they're not like forming full sentences. Um, but it's also like a constant multitasking. So yeah. you could be, like you said, at line at Starbucks or driving or doing, you know, at a meeting mm-hmm. and, you know, studies have shown that the brain isn't good at multitasking. Does, does, um, multitasking amplify anxiety? I feel like it does for me. Yeah. You know, you're right. The studies really have shown that multitasking isn't necessarily the way to go. Um, and I think what can happen is, um, you know, when you're multitasking, you can, you're more likely to make more mistakes. And so knowing that if that becomes a pattern, you're going to be anxious and nervous about continuing to make more mistakes. Um, but also you can feel overwhelmed and like not feeling like you've got any one thing complete or finished or tied up in a bow. And there's nice qualities to being able to do one thing mindfully and finishing it because you build mastery and completion and feeling like you're a bit more in control. So um, so I think multitasking in many ways does create more anxiety. Yeah. I, I wrote this article, hmm, gosh, like a year or two ago. And this man had done this study talking about how, and a lot of um, actually CEOs and stuff will take a week off of like, quiet time to create Mm -hmm. that in a constantly active brain is not as creative Mm -hmm. because you don't have any downtime. Like Mm -hmm. what does a busy, an over busy brain do for anxiety? Like if you're just so busy that you're not like coping with anything. Yeah. So when you're so busy, your mind's like pulling you in a million different directions. Uh, by not stopping and pausing for that week or that day or that hour even or that minute, um, you really don't have agency. You really miss the opportunity to slow down, observe what your mind's doing, noticing where it's pulling you and saying, hold on, how am I feeling about all this? Where do I want to put my energy? And I think that's where the creativity comes is being able to pause and really be deliberate and intentional about that. Yeah. Um, for me, I think anxiety can feel like a hamster wheel. I think that most people would describe it like that. Like Mm -hmm. it's like having a treadmill in the middle of your living room (laughs) with some ice cream and just like running, 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 but not going anywhere. (laughs) Um, and sometimes like the spinning just like gets out of control. Like how do you recommend people, um, You know, if it's, I think that there's like long-term, you know, like going to therapy and, you know, doing yoga and working out, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't want to say as strong as a panic attack, but maybe even on that scale, how do you manage that if you're just trying to like bring yourself down from like a nine to a five so you can be functional that day? Yeah, I think the first thing is to step back and we just talked about so much stimuli in our environment. So I think if there's a way to shut that down a little bit 
to even, you know, just writing down paper and pencil, like everything that's going through your mind, see it on paper so you're not just swimming in the thoughts. Yeah can be really helpful um that's one of the strategies we often recommend in therapy um and i think just kind of uh taking a a few slow deep breaths and reconnecting with okay what are my values what do i want to be doing with my life what am i doing currently with my life how am i living it and is there a way to bridge the gap there yeah am i tired of this treadmill in my living room with my bonbons (laughs) the answer is yes (laughs) Yes. you are absolutely (laughs) um so i think that there is that i believe in vulnerability when there is trust Mm -hmm. um i think that vulnerability without trust is just reckless communication. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that it can be really helpful. I know that it has been for me, um, you know, to talk about anxiety or talk about something that I'm going through. Um, when do you feel like it's useful to tell people that you have anxiety for, you know, example, a friend or a partner or an employer? I know that like in a intimate relationship, um, like boyfriend and girlfriend or marriage or something like that. There's a lot of fear behind that. Like, Mm -hmm. when do you think that that's helpful? Yeah, I think it's helpful when there's absolutely that trust. And I think vulnerability is so powerful, but done with the wrong folks, it can be quite damaging. And so when you're vulnerable with someone who's earned it, it can be incredibly Uh, powerful and bring you closer together with that person so I would say that's like a a requirement almost and then uh, if you feel that person has earned it I recommend you know I don't think there has to be a specific reason why um, you should share it I think it's helpful to let people in your life know just so they have more context and understanding who you are and why you are the way that you are so they can be more compassionate and understanding and patient yeah yeah and and probably if you can't tell someone you shouldn't be friends with them yes actually because I mean there's such a stigma on mental health and I think that you know in recent years people mm-hmm. have been trying to you know pull back that stigma um I you know working in the military health system for a number of years I know that they were really trying to destigmatize mm-hmm. um you know uh, getting help and stuff like that and, you know, you see it across the broader culture, but it just still seems like there's so much fear in it. And, but I think that like, if someone knows that you have anxiety, that you're, you know, either in a friendship or a relationship or family, you know, family member, it's like, they can be a little bit more understanding. Maybe th- they can soften the edges or just like, like for me, I don't necessarily like large crowds. So my best friend's like, nope, she won't invite me to certain <laughs> stuff because sure. I don't, you know, and she just knows like, okay, yeah, no, I don't, I don't take to hear to large crowds. <laughs> yeah. Or they can really like, that's super helpful, but also they, they can just provide that extra um, encouragement and push yeah. you to do things that you otherwise might not feel comfortable doing, letting you know, like, hey, I'm here with you. Um, you're safe. We can do this together. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I think one thing that people miss in this whole like anxiety thing is food and health. Mm, yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, yeah, this is so, so very real. So my whole life I've had blood sugar issues. I remember mm-hmm. I had to get tested for diabetes. I'm still traumatized and mad at my parents for a glucose tolerance test. I have PTSD talking about traumatic (laughs) events. That was one of them. Um, back then I, you know, you had to drink a big bottle of glucose and then get your like blood sugar tested every 30 minutes for like six hours or something horrible. Um, and I puked halfway through it because I, my body couldn't tolerate like the fasting and then like all the sugar. Yeah. And so I cried and they were like, oh, you're going to have to do this over again. But I, it was just like, it was miserable. But what led to that is that I was moody. I was cranky. Um, my blood sugar was, you know, all over the place. And, um, you know, now into adulthood, I've realized, and, you know, even more so the tie between like my moods and anxiety. I know when, I'm start to get hungry and I can feel my blood sugar drop. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm super anxious and I'm angry. And you know, as the saying is hangry, (laughs) (laughs) everyone always says hangry. Um, so, you know, people often ignore this connection and, and between like food and mental health, Mm -hmm. but why is it so important? And like, what sort of things can people do? I know for me, it's like making sure that my blood sugar stays stable yes. and avoiding processed foods and sugar and alcohol. It's hard though. Cause I like my cocktails <laughs> and wine, but <laughs> I mean, who doesn't, but, yeah. um, yeah, no, I mean, I think there's, uh, diet's a huge piece of managing anxiety. And so one, I mean, I think you're super intuitive and in being able to listen to your body, which is awesome. And a lot of people aren't taking the time to do that. I'm a delicate orchid. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell my friends, I'm a delicate orchid. That's great. I love that. <laughs> One ice cube a week. Right, exactly. Um, but if you if you pay attention, there are all these links, right? So if you're hungry or irritable, you might notice it's you're having a harder time concentrating. You're more... Um, prone to crave certain types of foods, you're tired, all these different things. So to avoid uh, your blood sugar dropping, which is directly correlated with anxiety, what we want to make sure we're doing is eating something every three to four hours to keep our blood sugar steady, making sure we're get protein is really good, especially if you are pairing it with something that's higher, um, excuse me, calorie in, in terms of um, sweets or, or anything like that, uh, that's going to help slow the yeah. blood uh, glucose into your system. So that'll help stabilize blood sugar as well. And, you know, diet's awesome in terms of healthy fats and what that can do for depression as well. So there's many different ways um, you can help stay stable in your mood and anxiety just through what you're eating. Yeah. And if you do eat a lot of processed, sugary, sweet kind of stop. foods. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> just stop now because I said so. <laughs> I mean, I would never encourage anyone to stop. I mean, those foods are too delicious to stop altogether. Um, but, you know, if we're consuming them in large quantities, actually it can help in feeling less anxious. Like it lights up the reward centers in your brain. Oh. And it does make you feel better for a second. Yes. So it's tempting in that way, right? But then what happens is your blood sugar spikes and then it crashes. Mm -hmm. And so there's this 
after effect. Um, it's like a hangover, a sugar hangover. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's what happens to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure we're eating those things in small doses, you know, not in large quantities yeah. at one time. Yeah. Like if I have a dessert, I'll make sure that it's not after like a meal of pasta or something like that. Sure. I'll do like protein right. and like vegetables and try yeah. not to go overboard. Makes sense. Um, so why is working out important? Because that really helps me like my mood after I work out, especially doing cardio. And I don't know why Mm -hmm. specifically, maybe, you know, why it's so much better, like kind of a hit workout that really helps me personally. Yeah, there is some research and I'm not going to be able to say the exact terms correctly, but there's some research that shows that high intensity interval training, I think, does produce some chemical in the brain that helps people feel better. So <laughs> you're, you're accurate in what you're feeling is oh. essentially what I'm saying. Um, but there's really a lot of short term and long term benefits to exercise and short term Um, there's endorphins that are secreted, serotonin, dopamine, all the feel good hormones, um, that you get to feel immediately from exercise. Um, you also have like the ability to focus, uh, better and have better attention. So you might just feel good in being able to like be more productive as well. Um, and you can have, you know, from a psychological standpoint, just the idea that you're tending to something that matters to you and building mastery and control and feeling accomplished can also just make you feel really good about yourself too. Um, and you might notice that you feel better in your body and your clothes, all these different things. So there's short-term effects, there's long-term effects, you know, it's, it's shown that like exercise actually helps produce brain cells and that, it can improve our capacity to remember and protect us from neurological um, decline and things like that too. So it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. I um, feel like sleep is also really, really important. And in this city, it feels like people don't sleep enough and they're like, Oh, I only need five to six. I'm like, bullshit. You need more than five (laughs) to six hours. Like I personally need nine. Yeah, (laughs) Nine's amazing. 11 is even better. (laughs) But that's a rarity. Yeah. Like, I, I, f- I just feel like I you, you get a break. You get a break from your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that – you, do you recommend that people with anxiety sleep more? Or do you – Not necessarily. I mean, so, you know, everyone has a set amount of sleep that their body feels good on. For you, it might be nine. For others, it might be seven. Um, that's, tends to be like the average range, but some people need less, some people need more. Um, but if you're, yes, if you're anxious and your, your mind's like constantly going, it can be a really restorative time to give you, it's when your body's going in and repairing everything in your body. So the stress that you're feeling, you know, during sleep is when your body's going in and repairing all the damage that's been done. So sleep is, is very important, um, in terms of our health and well-being overall. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing that I wanted to touch on is that anxiety can be a really, really dark place. And I think that it's, there can be a lot of shame, Mm -hmm. um, in it because you're like, man, why am I like this? I don't want to have this. Mm -hmm. And like the self talk talk almost becomes worse than the can become worse than the anxiety itself. 
how do you manage that? Because it is so normal and so many people have it. They just may not talk about it. And I think that there is some, I don't know, makes you feel better when you know that other people are kind of in it with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, I'm a big, big proponent of just, you know, being authentic, letting people know that you struggle with these things. You know, some, sometimes it's going to be well received. Sometimes it won't. So know your audience and yeah. know that there's that trust so you can be vulnerable with them. But in terms of the self-talk that can get a little bit dark, you know, I strongly encourage all my clients to practice self-compassion. And I really kind of ask them, you know, as you think about putting yourself down and being frustrated with yourself, is it doing anything for you? Is that thought helpful for you? If it's not helpful, let's stitch the thought. And, you know, we can't completely get rid of thoughts but let's not give it so much power and let's just focus on validating yourself what you're going through is hard um and and there's a lot of research to show too that self-compassion really does help us take you know meaningful action moving forward rather than keeping us stuck in that same you know self-critical loop that we can get into yeah and my last question is like how do you help someone else who is dealing with anxiety because it that's a hard it's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes cuz you know you don't know how to help yeah i so you know it's going to vary so much from person to person and what they're going to be open to receiving yeah. in terms of help but what i think can be really helpful is getting the person to take stock of all the things that they're worried about and whether that's talking to you um, or writing them down and then really helping them understand like what do you actually have control over and what do you not have control over if there are things that we can do to help you feel less anxious let's go ahead and do them but let's also work on accepting the things that we can't change Mm -hmm. so if there's things that you're feeling anxious about that you have zero control over you don't have to like accept acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it, but it's just saying it is what it is. And like, let's, you know, I, I hear that you're feeling upset about this, but there's not much we can do. Let's try to move on to something we can control. Yeah. Um, and outside of that, just providing a lot of compassion and just normalizing it. Like this is, yeah, this is stressful. This is tough. This is hard. Um, and, I think most importantly with anxiety, there can be a lot of avoidance. So if we can, if you're trying to help someone with anxiety, trying to get them to confront the things that they're avoiding, but with a lot of care and compassion yeah, and doing it very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I know procrastination gives me anxiety. Yes. <laughs> me too. That, yeah, yeah. 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 A lot. So anyway, well, this was such a helpful conversation. Um, I hope it was helpful for the audience as well. Um, again, I appreciate you so much for being here. Thanks for I think, um, you know, managing anxiety in the digital age is Oh, something all all of us are going to have to learn how to do better with. It's so. a challenge. That's yes. For sure. So check out my website, tallhungrygirl.com, for tips on how to better manage anxiety in the digital age. Um, you can subscribe to my podcast, Tall Hungry Girl Talks, on iTunes and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate it, review it, 
write me, tell me what you want to hear about. Thank you so much for joining.